Well, good morning and welcome. Clint mentioned this a while ago, if you are visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here, not just uh, because we're supposed to say that. We're glad that you're here because it is a privilege for us as a people to get to know you. That is a privilege. But more than that, it's a privilege for this people to have you visiting with us because it's a gift to us and it's our gift to be able to know that you will hear the good news about Jesus, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time. That's a gift for us to be able to do that. It's a privilege and to hope and know that you will hear the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus once again. Because that's why we've gathered, that's what we need, and we know that's what you need. So thank you for being with us today. There is a kiosk right over here. And at the end of the service, we hope that you'll go over there and and meet Clay or whoever's manning that booth. And just to get to know us a little better, we'll just put a little bit of information in your hand about who we are as a church body. So we are glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us in worship. Uh, I want to pray for a couple of things before we get started. And uh, if you will join me in prayer, we're going to pray kind of a general prayer for those that lead us, for the political climate that we're in, from the community level, state level, and national level. And then also pray for the other churches in town that are gathering, lifting up the name of Jesus, hearing again the hope that we have in Jesus, that are doing similar, same things that we're doing, that we are partners with them and that we would not be in competition with them but that we would hope for the same things for them that we're hoping for here. So y'all join me in prayer. God, it is a gift from you, and it is a good thing, and it is a privilege to be free to do this, what we're doing right now, to pray openly, to preach openly, to receive gifts, to receive offerings openly for the furthering of your kingdom, to hear the good news about Jesus again, to welcome in visitors, to welcome in other folks who may not be members here. It's a good thing and a gift. And we pray that you would be magnified and believed on, that Jesus, his hope would be believed on, that your spirit would be indwelling us as we hear your word again and the good news about you again. And we pray that for other churches in town who believe in Jesus, who love your word who believe in the Trinity, who love your mission to continue to save sinners. We pray for every other church in town right now that's gathering to do that, that you would be clear through the pastors who preach and that you would equip the saints for the work of service this morning, in this very moment, in this hour. We're grateful that you are doing that work. We're grateful that we can pray expectant, we can pray confidently, And we can pray knowing that you will do that work and you will accomplish it. We also pray for our government on every level. And the political climate that we're in that seems so weird. That you would remind your people today that you turn the hearts of kings like water in your hand. And that you are on your throne. And that we trust you first and help us to be that people that trust you first make wise decisions with our freedoms we pray that you would produce that in us God 
We're thankful for this time we have together. We pray that you would speak clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that don't know, we are in a, uh, a series on spiritual gifts. Ben and Scott have preached um, all the other ones so far. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the spiritual gift of evangelism. Now, we have, uh, and for those of you that don't know, um, I am not on staff here, but I am one of the three elders. Ben McGraw is an elder, Scott Sutton is an elder, and me, Brad Cardwell, I am an elder as well. And so uh, we do most of the preaching here, and um, it just seems like I've seen a lot of new faces over the summer and in this early fall, and I just wanted you to know that's who's doing this, that's who's leading and preaching here. If you don't know, maybe that'll help you understand why this sermon's so bad is that I don't do it as much as they do, um, just to get me off the hook to begin with. But this spiritual gifts sermons have been difficult. We are typically um, here at Cross Point used to just unpacking one verse at a time. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how we apply it. And taking this topical, uh, this topic of spiritual gifts has been difficult, but it's been good. It's been good and fruitful. And uh, I'm especially feeling feeble this morning uh, as the non-staff guy because there's some, there's some language stuff here that Ben and Scott are probably more prepared to unpack than I am. So I'm, I'm hoping that you don't tune out and aren't snoring here in about three minutes. Um, I, I want to get through some, some uh, w- word study before we jump in the actual text. Our text will be Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. I'm assuming a lot here, but I think I'm safe in assuming that when I say the word evangelism, I think most of us in here, our back gets tight, our neck gets stiff, get a little knot in your stomach about evangelism because of the many different definitions that you probably have floating around in your head, the many different definitions you've heard about what is evangelism. And so I kind of want to hopefully ease the angst over what is evangelism because I want to kind of shoot or turn the light on some of the wrong definitions of evangelism and then look at what our Bible says that is. Or what the Bible infers that that is. Okay? Some of the definitions, you can Google it. I didn't Google it, but you can. I bet you'd get the same type of definitions if you took a survey in here this morning. Some of us may define evangelism. And these are the not-so-biblical definitions, by the way. Sharing Jesus with lost people. Pretty simple. That may be a definition. Maybe uh, when I say evangelism, you think of a program. Marketing principles, right? Marketing principles that help you argue somebody into the kingdom. Now, that may be most of your experiences in evangelism. When somebody has taught you evangelism or talked about evangelism, they've mainly talked about strategy, right? Ways you can win somebody, win the argument. Maybe you think of evangelism and you just think, well, that's, that's the work of converting people, right? It's not evangelism unless somebody gets saved. That may be what you've attached to evangelism. Some even see apologetics. The act of defending Christianity, of of knowing enough about another religion and knowing enough about Christianity to engage in an argument, win the argument, and defend what you believe. Some people see apologetics as evangelism. They say, hey, that's evangelism if I can defend what I know to be true. All those are not so biblical. So we're going to do this real quick, brief word study on what do we have in our Bible. 
And the word where we get evangelism is the Greek word euangelion. Evangel, that's the English word for it. Evangel is the word that we have for the good news about Jesus. And I'm tagging about Jesus because the literal definition is good news. Good news, evangel. Now, the tricky part for us where we as the church can get tripped up is that we have, in the English language, two words for euangelion. We have evangel, which we've run with evangel. We've got a lot. I'll show you in just a minute. We've really run with that word. And then we have gospel. Both mean good news. Evangel and gospel. Are you with me? I haven't lost you yet, have I? Okay. Evangel and gospel. Now, where we get tripped up is that those both mean the same thing, but we have more connotations for evangel than we do for gospel. Here's what I mean. We, we've taken evangel and we've made adjectives out of it, adverbs, nouns. I mean, we've, we've done a lot. We've got evangelistic. We say something is evangelistic. We say that there is evangelism. We say that something is evangelical. And then there's evangelicalism. You see how confusing it can be when it means the same as gospel. And so what that has done for some of us is we think, okay, there's this gospel, right? There's this umbrella, there's this gospel. It's this big, beautiful story from Genesis to Revelation of the good news about Jesus saving a people. That's the gospel. And then there's evangelism. It's kind of a part of it. It's a part of the gospel. And so evangelism is just kind of this subset, subpart of the gospel. It's just something you do when you're a gospel ministry is that you're evangelistic. Or some people are evangelistic. Or it's kind of this specialized thing when the words mean the same thing. Gospel and evangel mean good news. So we can get tripped up. For example, we don't call those people who preach the gospel to unbelievers with the aim to convert. That's the more accurate biblical definition of evangelism. Preaching the gospel to unbelievers with the aim to convert them. We don't call them gospelers, do we? That'd be weird. We call them evangelists. But it means the same thing, gospeler. And we don't say that we're an evangel-centered church. That just sounds weird. Nobody uses that in the English language. We say we're a gospel-centered church. But it means the same thing. So let's don't get tripped up and let's don't take the evangel connotations too far. Let's see what the Bible says about that word. And what word do we have and then how is it a gift to the church? Okay, that's where we're going. Let's examine the word that we have for evangel. And then let's, let's look at how in the world is the evangelist a gift to the church. After all, this is a message on evangelism. A word that's not even in our Bible. We have evangelist. We have evangel. We have evangelist. And so, not a bad thing. Evangelism is not a bad word. It is a great deduction. It's a great way to infer what it means to share the gospel. But that word's not here. So we're going to go to evangelist, and it's mentioned three times in our Bible. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at this as our main text, and starting here because I think it's the 
the verse with the word evangelist in it that points most clearly to a gifting, a equipping of some folks, some sort of, I hate to use the word special, but special inclination and a burden for lost people to proclaim and announce the gospel to people who have never heard it or don't believe it. Okay, so let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And here we go. The word and. And, and he says and there because he says, he gave gifts to men and apportioned them according to Christ. Then he says, and he gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's where we've been for 10 or 11 weeks now, is these gifts are from the Spirit, given to the church, for the building up of the church. Okay, we have to be clear on that. These gifts are gifts to the church for the building up of the church. All right? Now, the two other places that the word evangelist is mentioned, we have to look there. Now, you're not going to look at, at both of them. I want you to turn to first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We need to look at the other two places that evangelist is used so that we can get a more accurate picture of what does it mean to be an evangelist, right? It seems like in chapter 4 of Ephesians that there is this special gift of someone who does the work of announcing and heralding the good news about Jesus to people who don't believe. That's what it seems. And, it, and you could make a pretty good case for that. Not a stretch, right? 2 Timothy 4 Paul is giving Timothy some instruction here on, on how to be a good pastor, right? And so look at the list he gives him here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth, the truth about Jesus, and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, comma, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? Paul has given Timothy a list of things to be as a pastor. And he wraps this up with this statement, do the work of an evangelist. So is he saying, Timothy, you've got lots to do as a pastor. You've got to preach the word in season and out of season. Even when people don't like it, you've got to keep your head on a swivel and be sober. Okay, you're going to have to reprove and keep a level head and rebuke. You're going to have to exhort, instruct. You're going to have to be patient. You've got a lot in front of you, Timothy. 
You've got a lot to do. A lot of important things to do. And you're going to have to endure it and not quit. <laughs> that may be the hardest instruction of all that Paul gives him. Endure all these things and don't quit. Okay? And is Paul saying, oh, and by the way, don't forget about lost people. Don't forget to be thinking about proclaiming and heralding and announcing to unbelievers. Do all this work in the church as a pastor, but listen, also don't forget about preaching to people who don't believe, who don't trust in Christ. He could be. He could be saying that here. No doubt would be wise counsel for any pastor if that's how we read that. No doubt. That would be wise counsel for any of us, right? You've got lots to do, Mom. Lots to do, Dad. Students, you've got lots in front of you. But don't forget to announce and herald the gospel to lost people. Is that bad instruction? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not. But could Paul be saying, could he be saying, that keep your head on the swivel. Preach in season and out of season. Preach the gospel. Endure this thing and don't quit. People aren't going to want to listen sometimes. Keep preaching. Exhort. Reprove. Give instruction. Be patient. And all that is doing the work of an evangelist. He could be wrapping that up, that list, and saying, you fulfill your work as a gospeler. Can you insert that word there? Here's the things you're supposed to do as a pastor, Timothy. Do the work of a gospeler. All that list, that's doing the work of a gospeler. Could he be saying that? He could be. So you see how that doesn't really change anything, but it changes the way we think about what an evangelist is when we think about that being the same word. Here, here's where, where this can trip up the church, and maybe you have had this experience in your past um, about evangelism and the evangelist is that if we say, look, this was a list given to Paul, and then tagged on the end was, oh yeah, don't forget about lost people. If that's the case, here's where we can take this. I'm not saying that if, if you see that verse like that, I'm not saying this is where you will take it, but this is where it can go. This is where I've seen it go. This is where I kind of grew up in. And this can happen. I've seen it. Not at all the churches I've been in, but some is that the gospel can become just something that tips people over in conversion and they don't need it after. You see that? How, how you can think that? That we, we preach about good financial giving. We can preach about how to be a good Christian. Discipleship can be void of the gospel if we say, you do all these things, you reprove, you rebuke, you correct. Oh yeah, and don't forget about lost people. Where our thinking can go as a church is, we only need the gospel for conversion. We don't need it for the preaching. We don't need it for teaching. We don't need it on Wednesday nights. We don't need it in devotion. We don't need the gospel in our finances. We don't need the gospel in our growing, in our maturing, in our keeping, in our persevering. We don't need it. It's just something that tips lost people into the church. Do you see how we can get there in our thinking? So we have to be careful with the word evangelist. We have to be careful with how specialized we make it. Because Paul is telling Timothy, be a gospeler. <laughs> Whether or not he's saying be uh, an evangelist and 
think about lost people in addition, he's still saying be a gospeler. Preach the gospel. Evangel or gospel. We've learned from our time in Hebrews, if you were here the last few years, is something that grows us and keeps us. Okay? So evangel, gospel, the good news about Jesus is something that we hear, the Bible says, and then if we believe in faith, saves us, conversion, and it also grows us when we hear it again. And we hear the, the depth and the, um, uh, the specifics of that salvation, and we hear the specifics of who he is and who we are and how he saved us. It, it grows us because the good news about Jesus infiltrates everything. And that grows us and matures us. And that's the, also the gospel, evangel, is what keeps us here. Hearing it again. On these tables it says, do this in remembrance of me. Because we're a people that forget. So the gospel doesn't just tip us into conversion. The gospel grows us and the gospel keeps us. Do you see it? In Acts 21 is the third place where the word evangelist is used. You don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna, he, he's just mentioned. Paul says we're on this journey and we ended up staying at Philip the evangelist's house. That's all, that's all it says. We stayed at Philip's house, Philip the evangelist's house. So he's got this title of an evangelist. So does that mean that Philip had this inherent ability, inherent gift to speak to unbelieving people about the gospel with the aim of converting them? It could be. <laughs> okay, hear me say it. It could be. But when, we, when you look at what has just happened in the previous chapters to Philip, Philip was appointed as a deacon in chapter 6. Okay, So Philip is a deacon who was told in chapter 8 by the Spirit, go over and talk to that Ethiopian eunuch. And what was the Ethiopian eunuch doing? He was reading his Bible and he didn't understand it. He was reading Isaiah. And what does Philip do? He went to him, spent time with him, and he explained the good news about Jesus in Isaiah to this Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian said, where's some water so I can get baptized? Converted, right? So, is that an inherent special gift given just to Philip? Maybe. Maybe. Or, it could be a nickname. You know that deacon that was appointed to serve the church so that others could preach the word and prayer? You know what? He can also teach the gospel. He can do that. He's a deacon who can teach and preach the gospel. He's a, a deacon who can move towards lost people and they get saved. Which I love the balance that that brings that Preachers and pastors are not the only ones that can preach the gospel. You can too. And so it may be a nickname for him. Could be. Could be. Now, here's the caution on specializing and, and thinking, maybe over-specializing, I don't know, know if that's an accurate term, over-specializing the evangelist. Because when we do that, we can isolate the evangelist. Or the evangelist can isolate himself to some specialized ministry as a subset of the gospel and all of a sudden they're doing something no one else wants to do. They're doing something that's special that very few people want to do and that's talk to lost people about Jesus. 
That's very difficult. And so if we over-specialize this gift, if we over-specialize the gift of evangelism, we can end up with, okay, think about, think about growing up. If you're Baptist in here, I, I just want to shoot that elephant. If you're Baptist in here, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> growing up, this, this idea of an evangelist with the bright suit, big hair, booming voice, right? Very impressive, blows into town, and he is focused on one thing, and that is converting the lost people, right? And his success at evangelism is what? Number of conversions. If he's a real good evangelist, then he's got notches on the gun. And that's what can happen, what can happen, when we take this too far as a specialized work, a specialized gift. It can't happen. I had a, a funny conversation with Clint the other day about that, and he, he used the word rogue. When he, thought, when he thinks about the evangelist he, he knew growing up, he thought the first word that came to his mind was rogue. Kind of disconnected, separate from the church, just kind of on his own. He, he, he's focused on one thing, and that's lost people. And not really concerned or connected for the local church. In fact... That evangelist may tend to even believe or communicate the church exists for me. The church supports me and exists so that I can do what I, I need to do. And there's no real connection back to the church. They exist for me. I don't exist for the church. That's how quickly we, that's where we can go if we're not careful with this word. And I think we've all seen that happen the evangelist is not a renegade the evangelist is not the only one focused on converting lost people the evangelist is not defined by harvesting the evangelist success of the evangelist is not defined by how many people get converted the evangelist is defined as one who knows the gospel and who preaches and teaches the gospel with the aim to convert lost people. With the aim to convert them, not the ability. Did you hear that? The aim to convert them, but not the ability to convert them. So we go back to Ephesians 4, and this is the place where if you're going to make the case that there are people with a special role, it's here in Ephesians 4. Because that evangelist is in a list of other word-teaching ministries. Okay, And so it's given, and it looks to be something that's unique. In Ephesians 4, we have what seems to be a special role of those that are burdened for and intentional with sharing the gospel with the unreached. Whether or not it's an inherent special gift is up for some debate, but not essential to understanding that the gift is there and the gift to this church is people who fill that role. We can all agree on that. The gift to the church is people who fill that role and apparently have a real burden for it. And a real knack, I would say. A knack for finding themselves in conversations with people who don't believe. Who are good at having conversations with people who don't believe and can turn the conversation to Jesus better than we can. They just seem to have that in them. Now, that's anecdotal. That's what we see in front of us, but it's what we see in front of us. And I can say confidently that I see that in many of you. Many of you. 
We see it in every one of the missionary families that have come through this church. Every one of them that has come through this church, they have a special burden for the unreached, lost people. They have a knack for having conversations with them. They have a knack for um, bringing Jesus up in conversation. They have a special burden. They have eyes that see people differently. And in the heart of these people seems to be an aim to convert them. Knowing they don't have the ability, their aim is to see people come to Jesus that don't know him. Is that clear? Now, the gift that has been given to the church, according to scripture, is the evangelist. The gift to the church is those that do the work of evangelism. Who preach good news about Jesus with the aim to convert. So... How is it a gift? This is key to balancing out the rogue renegade. How is it a gift to the church? It says right there in Ephesians 4, verse 12. It's a gift to the church for this reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The evangelist exists for the church. The evangelist is a gift to the church. To equip the church. So, you look around, you know some folks in here, you know some folks maybe that you grew up with, maybe that, you, that don't live around you, that you know they just have that special burden for lost people. They are in your life as special gospelers <laughs> to help you have the same burden. To help you not forget. To help you reach out. They are in your life to equip you It is the gift because they equip us to be evangelists. They equip and train us to have a similar burden. To be on the same mission that God is on. To share the good news with the world. The evangelist reminds us that there is still a gospel mission of gathering up God's elect and it's going on. He is still gathering his people. It's not done yet. It doesn't end with us. And the evangelists among us help, they remind us of that, right? That he's still on a mission to save people. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The evangelist reminds us of that and equips us to walk in that. When our team went to Munich this past summer, and any time we go overseas to visit one of our missionary families, we're not doing that just to lend them a hand I mean, that, that can be kind of how we see missions and moving towards folks like that, is that we're just over here to lend a hand and be encouraging because you have it so rough over here and we have it so good and you're obviously just, you know, lost your mind to have to give up America. So we're going to come and encourage you and help you and lend a hand. No. What happens when our team, this happens specifically, ask anybody that went. Our team in Munich was trained every day by Derek. Trained, taught how to have this burden for these unreached people, how to, how to move towards them, build relationships with them, and share the gospel with them with the aim and hope that they would believe in Jesus, knowing that they don't have the ability to do that, but their aim is to share the gospel, share evangel with these people. And our team was trained to do that by one of our families, and they came back with a burden. Derek equipped our people to be evangelists. Do you see it? We're not just lending a hand. The evangelist is not the isolated renegade. That are the only ones concerned 
for the unreached, but in fact, they exist to both announce the gospel to the lost and to remind us of the gospel and equip us and remind us of the mission. Now, there's a caution here. When we say that, that people are uniquely burdened for that, we can kind of treat this gift like Scott and Ben have mentioned, the other gifts. We don't want to treat this. Um, the illustration I had was um, if in, the, in your family you have special giftings, right? Uh, some people are better at other things at your house. And if, and this is a big if, someone was really good at, really enjoyed, and really loved doing laundry, we would all say, boy, you are a gift to our family, right? And the reason is, nobody else likes doing it, right? Nobody else likes doing laundry. Woo, you're a gift to our church. You're a gift to our family because you're doing and you're good at the one thing we're all, all of us are scared to do or are afraid to do or hate doing. But that is not how the evangelist is a gift to us because the way your family member would really be a gift to your family is if they brought you alongside and taught you how to love laundry and taught you how to be good at it and taught you to see the good that comes from having laundry done well. You see that? That would be a gift to your family if they equipped everybody else to share, equipped everybody else to be good at it. That's how I want you to think about how evangelism is a gift. Evangelists in here, listen, you may not have ever been labeled like Philip, but some of us see you as that, and, and if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I think I kind of am that, it's not terminal on you. Pull us alongside you. Who are you showing? Who are you mentoring? Who are you showing to have that same burden for the lost? In Hunt County? Overseas? Wherever? Who are you pouring into showing how to have conversations? T teach us how you just so easily talk about Jesus everywhere you go. Help us. Don't hold on to it. Why is it that you constantly have that on your mind when you meet people? And how do you have those conversations? We, want, we need you to help us do the laundry. Second reason why or how evangelism can be a gift or should be seen as a gift to us is that evangelism is something pretty new in the history of God's people. For most of the story of this gospel, it was for one nation, right? It was for Israel. It was for one people. It wasn't for anyone else. God was not for anybody else. He was for his people. And then in an effort, according to Acts 13, in an effort to make the Jews jealous. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it. And in order to make them jealous, he does something amazing and he opens up the good news about salvation to him through Jesus to the world. The gospel becomes something for us. It becomes something for us and it's still open. What a gift, right? This is not something just for one nation anymore. His elect will come from the four winds. What a gift evangelism is. That, it, that it's still happening. That's a gift. The fact that it's still a possibility that someone could hear the good news about Jesus and totally give their life to him and be baptized. What a gift. We are not 
sitting in the lobby of the hotel waiting for Jesus to come down. Boy, it's easy to just enjoy what he's given us and just sit kind of around waiting on Jesus for us. But no, it's so much bigger than that. He's given us evangelism. He's given us the ability to speak his name and then it's intersected with the Spirit's work and he saves people still. What a gift. What a gift that he's still adding to the number through your children, through your neighbors. He's still adding to his people. What a gift that we get to see it and be a part of it. What a gift, right? That's how evangelism is a gift. Isaiah 49, 5. This was the plan all along. Just listen. This was the plan all along, that this thing would go out to the nations, to the whole world. Here, this was the plan all along. Isaiah 49, 5 says, And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? What he's saying is, is this thing just going to stay with Israel? God says, I will also make you a light to the nations. I'm going to use you to be a light to the nations. This thing's going to be open to the whole world. Evangelism. To reach the end of the earth. What a gift. What a gift. Now, I'm just going to end with four things. Four things. Why, is evangel- why does evangelism feel like doing the laundry? And if it doesn't to you, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm not trying to make light of that gifting, but why does it seem so hard? And there's four things why I think it seems difficult for us. It's because it's polarizing. When we speak about the good news about Jesus, it's polarizing. I think everybody would agree with that, right? Anytime you speak about Jesus, the the nod in your throat about what are these people going to think? especially in our context that's full of apathy. They've already probably heard about Jesus. They've got these weird notions about church. And to say that causes so much angst. And it's polarizing. Well, Paul said it would be. It's going to be an aroma of life to some and aroma. It's going to be offensive to others. It just is polarizing. (laughs) That's why it's hard. And look, if you're an introvert in here, I I would much rather... (laughs) be sitting in my recliner watching football than in a room full of people having to make conversation. I get it. I get it. And the people pleaser in me wants everybody to like me. I don't want to polarize people, right? I understand that. But the gift of the evangelist helps us move out of that and let, not letting that be an excuse. Number two, another reason why I think it's hard for us is that we forgot the bad news. I think we've forgotten the bad news. The reality of eternal condemnation for those that don't believe. We forget about it. Now, we've been blessed here at Cross Point to hear good teaching on the wrath of God, which makes the good news even better, right? But let's not forget the bad news when we think about his mission towards unbelievers. The bad news. In Revelation 19 and 20, he, he, he calls it a lake of fire. Eternal. That the, his wrath is not just set against them now. 
his wrath will be set against all those not in the Lamb's book of life forever. Forever. And he uses the term lake of fire. And look, he, some people say, well, that's just symbolism. Okay, well, if it's symbolism, symbolism is rarely overstated. When we use symbolism, it's usually understating what is real. The bottom line is, eternal condemnation is real. And it's going to be really, really, really bad. And if we forget that, if we, if we forget that, then we just really don't care. And that can create an apathy in us for the unbeliever. Number three, I think we like the lobby too much. We may like the lobby too much. The goodness of God and the sweetness that exists in his people here is something to be very grateful for and enjoy. The growth and maturity that so many of y'all have enjoyed, it can be intoxicating, right? It can just really be intoxicating to see the growth and maturity of those around you, to, to unpack these unbelievably gospel truths, to see people rooted and grounded more in their faith is such a sweet thing. But it can be intoxicating and it can be something that we fall in love with and that we can forget that there are people who don't know. There are people who don't have that. And we can fall in love with it. Matthew 9.10 And it happened that as he was, Jesus was reaching at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? And when he said this, he said, when he heard this, he said, Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 1 Timothy 1. Saying is trustworthy and full, good for full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That is his mission. That is the mission. And we can forget that when we like the lobby too much. Number four, I think we still think that evangelism equals winning converts. And we have not been able, maybe personally, to see anybody come to faith personally. Maybe you've never led anybody to the Lord. Maybe you've tried and you've shared the gospel and they just totally rejected you. And you're thinking, I ain't good at evangelism. I tried that once, and I was embarrassed. Man, I tried that once, and now they won't even talk to me. I tried that, and I fumbled it so bad that they just looked at me like a calf at a new gate. I, I just don't think I'm up for evangelism. But in the back of your mind, what you're saying is, what you're saying is evangelism equals making converts, and that is not true. Evangelism is heralding and announcing the good news about Jesus and leaving the results up to him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 through 9. I want you to see what Paul says. The Corinthians are arguing over who's the better preacher. And, well, Apollos baptized me and he's the one that discipled me, so he's the real deal. And then the people that came to faith under Paul are saying, no, Paul, he's the best. We're going to go to his conference. 
Apollos doesn't know what he's doing. You know, they're, they're bickering and arguing over who's the best. And this is what Paul says <clears throat> in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, talking about the seed of the gospel, good news about Jesus, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God gives growth. Can you just exhale for a minute in that? And rest in that? Knowing that when you plant the seed of the gospel, when you speak about the good news of Jesus, when you bring someone to hear the good news about Jesus, the seed's planted. And when you walk with those people and pour into them and show them more of the gospel, you're watering. And when they come to faith in Christ, it's not you. (laughs) You didn't do it. And the evangelist can't do it either. So let's not be afraid of not winning enough converts. Let's not be afraid of not winning enough converts. And let's enjoy the gift of the fact that there are those of you among us who will equip us to be better at it and the fact that it's even a possibility for people to come to faith. Evangelism. Thank you, Lord, that you came to save sinners and you're still doing it. Thank you for the evangelist that helps equip us and continues us, continues to announce And thank you for bringing growth through evangelism. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these passages that remind us that you are still at work, that you have given good gifts to the church, and that your spirit brings growth. We are so grateful for that. I pray that you would um, empower, again, those among us with a special burden for the lost to not be disconnected from the church, but to equip us to be ones who are also burdened for those that are unreached. We're grateful for the gift of evangelism and we're grateful that it's still open. We're grateful that you're still saving. Help us engage that mission. In Jesus' name, amen. In the supper, supper is evangelistic. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're preaching good news about Jesus. We're saying and, 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 and taking part in something that's showing the good news about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to hear how we are proclaiming the good news about Jesus. When we take this bread and we take this cup, what we are saying is there's something really good that we all still need. And when we say that, there's something really good that we all still need, and it's Jesus, and we're, we're showing that by eating bread and drinking, we're showing that by eating his substitution for our punishment, and his new covenant with us in that cup, and when we say that, it's evangelism, right? We're, we're being evangelistic when we take the supper and we proclaim something here, I want you to see it, and just listen, 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord But I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took a cup after saying, This is the cup, a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim. You proclaim something. 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're proclaiming is there's good news. There's atonement for your sin, sinner. There's been somebody that took your place, sinner. There's good news. There's atonement. He died. You don't have to. Eternal life, not eternal condemnation. And that's what we proclaim, evangelism. Let's pass the elements.